One of, the, uh, one of the things that used to drive me nuts about my dad was that he had a well of stories and sayings that he would return to over and over again. Did you ever experience that? Somebody just kind of tells the same stories again and again and again? Well, I turned 47 on, on Friday and um, I look back across my life and I realize I'm turning into my dad. And uh, I have a well of stories and sayings that I turn to over and over again, uh, including a, uh, a story about my best friend's sheep, which I will get back to in just a moment, uh, because first we need to talk about what's going on with Jesus in Luke 15. So in Luke 15, we find Jesus hanging out with the wrong crowd. People are upset because, uh, I should say, it's a specific group of people. It's the religious people. Um, the, the Pharisees, who were very religious. And, and they, the Pharisees get a little bit of a bad rap, and, and rightly so, because they got some things very badly wrong about God's love and God's grace. But these are people who wanted others to know what the Bible says so that they could live according to it. That's not such a terrible goal, is it? No, what they really got wrong was that you can live according to it, you know, all on your own. That's not possible. You need God's love and God's grace and God's mercy to come into his presence. And they, they completely lost that. And they had with them uh, some people who supported them called the scribes. And the scribes were experts in the scriptures, and, and they too were Bible teachers. They wanted people to know what the scriptures said. And these really religious people saw the people who were coming to Jesus. And the people who were coming were tax collectors and sinners. Now, even in our culture, tax collectors don't have a great reputation, do they? You know, all of us get a little bit grumpy in April. Uh, you know, as we're doing our, our tax forms and stuff like that, and none of us likes to pay those bills, even though we know that uh, the government does do good things with them, with the money that we turn in. Uh, however, at this time, the, the, the tax collectors, they were seen even worse than what we see them, because basically the people of Israel, it's not a representative government that they're living under. In fact, it's a foreign power that has come in, taken over their country, and said, by the way, for the privilege of being our people, you will pay. And they found citizens of that country to be those tax collectors. So already, people are looking at them kind of askance because they see them as traitors. And on top of that, a lot of the tax collectors, in order to uh, you know, live the lifestyle that they wanted they would just add a little bit of a percentage or two to what they collected in order to line their own coffers. So they were thieves and cheats as well as traitors in the eyes of the people. These are the people Jesus is hanging out with. And I, and I love it. They're, it's the tax collectors and the sinners. If you read this in the other Gospels, um, we find Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. So basically, the picture that you have here are, are people who are, are, are scandalous to the society around them. People who would 
put to the margins, who would be ignored, who would be shunned and avoided. And these are the people that Jesus is welcoming. He even eats with them, and that's a big deal in their culture. To eat with someone showed acceptance, and it showed a bond between you. And that bond, that bond could be pretty loose, but you would certainly never eat with somebody that you felt was scandalous or somebody who would make you unclean. And it isn't that Jesus approved of what they were doing. That's really clear when you read the Gospels. He's never like, uh, I, I used this line a, a while ago because this is what I do. I'm turning into my dad. Um, uh, go and sin some more, you know. It, no. He's constantly calling them to repentance. But they're coming to him because his message is so compelling. Because he reveals that God loves sinners. That there's hope for those who other people have called hopeless And he loves them enough to enter into their lives, to rub shoulders with them, and to proclaim forgiveness, and to call them to change the way that they think and they act. And the religious people grumbled. I love that word, grumbled. It's it's an interesting choice of words. Um, That word grumbled comes up 11 times in the Bible. Six of those times or when the people of Israel are in the, uh, the wilderness after God has rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And they're wandering in the wilderness, and they're grumbling against Moses, or they're grumbling about the food that God's providing for them. Three more times it appears here in Luke. And I think it's intentional. I think he's hearkening back to what happened during the Exodus. He's making a point that just as the people grumbled uh, as God blessed them and revealed salvation to them long ago, here they are grumbling about God's grace. Grumbling about the kind of people that Jesus would hang out with. Grumbling about his mercy and his salvation. It's a good thing that we don't do that. Except we do, don't we? You know, we look at people, and there are people that that we consider to be scandalous. And we think that they are are outside of God's grace. It's just a a fact of, of human nature. It's unfortunate. It's part of our brokenness, part of our sin. You know, and I got to say, one of the most obvious places I see this in our culture right now is politics. You know, I, I believe it, it was either NPR or PBS that did a study that showed, you know, that the parties are, are, are moving to further extremes away from each other. And that the discourse between them is becoming less and less polite. And you know, I, have, I have heard people, you know, conservatives, say you know, that you know, I don't understand how a liberal could be a Christian and, and support fill-in-the-blank. And I've heard liberals say of conservatives, I don't know how they could be a Christian and support X, Y, or Z. It's as if people think that the other guy's party is headed by Satan and my party is as pure as the driven snow. Guess what? 
They're all a bunch of sinners. And they all need Jesus. But catch this. Jesus hung out with the tax collectors and sinners. He engaged them. Jesus hung out with those folks that that we who are the religious people find scandalous to show them God's love, to urge them to turn away from their sin, the sin that kills us. And this is something that I think in our culture we miss. We're like, sin, it's a small deal. No, it's not. Sin kills. This is why Jesus died on the cross. Oh, it's not a big deal. Jesus only had to die. Sin is a big, big deal. And Jesus came to rescue us from it. And he is there with the sinners to redeem them. And in this moment, we... we, 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 we find Jesus hanging out with people that others, they shun. And if we find ourselves in that place where we think that our sin is not as bad as someone else's, we better watch out. We're on shaky ground. You know, one of the things that I like to do when we read these gospel lessons is to ask, who are you in this story? Who do you identify with? Are are you the tax collectors and the sinners? Or are you the Pharisees and scribes? And in truth, I would be willing to bet that it depends on what day it is. Or even what time it is. Because we float between them. There are times when we recognize our brokenness and our sin and we're like, man, oh man, I need Jesus. And there are other times where we look around and I'm like, yeah, they need Jesus badly. If only they could be as good as me. The good news is that Jesus receives sinners and eats with us. So he tells them a parable. It's a parable about sheep. He says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that was lost until he finds it? I've got to tell you, I hear that question, I'm like, not me. If I have a hundred sheep and I lose one, I still have 99. I'm pretty sure my priorities keep the 99. When I was in school, a 99% on a test was really good. Those of you in industry, if you had 99% efficiency in what you were doing, would you be pretty happy with that? That's solid. This is a good grade. But this is not how God works. In fact, listen to what God says in Ezekiel chapter 34. He says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out of the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountain of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them. 
with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing place. There they shall lie down in good grazing, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be their shepherd, be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. See, this is how God does it. He knows each and every one of us by name. And when we wander off, he's the kind of shepherd who goes and searches for us. And he finds us. And he rescues us. Even if it costs him dearly. Even if it costs him his only begotten son. And that's the kind of shepherd that Jesus is. The kind that lays down his life for the sheep, as he says in John chapter 10. He lays down his life to redeem you and me, and then he takes his life back up again. And he tends us, and he leads us, and he feeds us. Why? Because he loves us. And Jesus says that when that shepherd found the sheep, you know, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I've, I've found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We should meditate on that verse this week. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. By the way, are there any righteous persons who need no repentance? No. Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all people who need the shepherd to search us out, to pick us up, and to lay us on his shoulders as he rejoices that he has saved us. And have you ever thought about that? That Jesus rejoices that he saved you? In, in Hebrews 12, it tells us that it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame. What was that joy? It was you. It was your salvation. So let me tell you about my friend's sheep. She was really dumb. The sheep, not my friend. I thought I should clarify that. I still count my friend Mark as one of the best people I've ever known. Uh, but his sheep was really dumb. Dumb. But she loved Mark. And every time Mark came out into the yard, into a spot that she could see him, she would make a beeline running right for him. The problem being there was a fence between them. And she would go headlong into that fence, and then once she hit it, she would just... and push her head through the fence and get stuck. Because she wanted to be near Mark. And then Mark would go down, calm her down, because she's upset, because she's stuck, and push her head back through the fence. Now, I said the sheep was dumb, but there was a certain wisdom in what she did. 
she knew her shepherd, and when she saw him, she did not run away from him, but she ran to him. She really got the thing rather messed up at the end there, but she knew, maybe, that Mark would make it okay in the end. And he did. Jesus is our shepherd. And the older I get, the more comfortable I get with just being a dumb sheep. But I want to be the kind of dumb sheep that runs to Jesus and not away from him. You know what I mean? Because I know that, as Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. My heart, your hearts, will fool us and they will chase after all kinds of things, wrong things. And sometimes we run away from Jesus. And I'm so thankful that our shepherd Jesus still seeks us and patiently puts us on his shoulders and carries us back. But I want to be the kind of dumb sheep that runs to Jesus. The kind that gets its head stuck in the fence because I'm trying to get to him. Desperately wanting to be in his presence. The kind that turns away from sin in repentance and runs as fast as I can to my shepherd. Because there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who think they don't need to repent. It's important to see ourselves as the tax collectors and sinners in this story. It's important to see ourselves as the one sheep and not the 99. It's important and because it's important because we then see how much Jesus has done to save his people, to save us. We begin to understand that our God loves us and to understand what he's like and what lengths he will go to to save us. It's important because it will help us to resist the temptation to grumble when we see other sinners. Perhaps, perhaps we can join in the rejoicing in heaven when they repent and when they come running to Jesus. Amen.